five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Great David Bowie with Blackout. That's a pay-in uh, to the Blackout from New York in 1977, which I believe he was privy to. He was there when it happened, uh, when it all went down, when the lights went out in New York City and uh, the city lost. Most of the city was okay. But uh, Queens, Bronx, Parts of Brooklyn, uptown, they lost their fucking minds. And uh, there were definitely some extracurricular activities happening on the streets in New York at that time. Maybe I'll put my American cowboy hat on today. I was going to wear this on the uh, July 3rd broadcast, but I decided not to. And it's okay. It's an all right hat. Anyway, welcome to the show, another edition of 15 Minutes of Flame. I just thought that that would be an appropriate song to play for what's happening uh, to our friends in France and uh, Western Europe. Uh, the uh, planned demolition of a of countries and cultures and languages and people and everything that have contributed to um, their expression being laid to waste before our very eyes and all of it a planned demolition and how do we know it was a planned demolition because they told us it was going to be a planned demolition i have played this video before and i shall play it again let me turn the chat on probably need to do that that would be helpful for y'all let me get into the broadcast and uh, hit some uh, hit some viewer chat. Let me do this. We're almost there. Moderate viewer chat. Okay, thanks, Steve. I think you probably switched it on. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So they told us they told us exactly what they were going to do, and let me. Let me play the reminder, and I'm going to play this a couple times just so you get it and, and it actually hits home here. So you know what we're talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Barbara Lerner Specter calling for the destruction of Christian European ethnic societies here it is 
as we heard, there are people in Sweden who support Israel and have a deep sense of the injustice of the present situation. It's these people who give hope to those who still believe that things will get better here. One of them is Barbara Spector, a former American who made Aliyah and then 10 years ago, with the help of the government of Sweden, set up a non-denominational institute of Jewish learning with the Greek name of Paideia here in Stockholm. She believes the current wave of anti-Semitism in Sweden will pass and that Jews have an important role to play in a country undergoing profound change. I think there's a resurgence of anti-Semitism because at this point in time, Europe has not yet learned how to be multicultural. And I think we're going to be part of the throes of that, of that transformation, which must take place. Europe is not going to be the monolithic uh, uh, societies that they once were in the last. First of all, this bitch is crazy. She's crazy. Look at her. But she's also taking glee in this. She's, she is taking glee and enjoyment with this. Information, which must take place. Europe is not going to be. Look at her. Look at her smile. Look at her smile. Europe is not going to. Look at her smile. She's having a good time here. It's not going to be the monolith. Uh, uh, societies that they once were in the last century. Jews are going to be at the center of that. It's a huge transformation for Europe to make. They are now going into a multicultural mode, and Jews will be resented because of our leading role. But without that leading role and without that transformation, Europe will not survive. Uh, yeah. Depends on what your definition of Europe is. Let's put let's play that again. If you haven't figured it out, let's play it again. They were telling you I've been playing this video for years. And here's here's a nut, a Swedish cock. Here we go. Brothers and such. As we heard, there are people in Sweden who support Israel and have a deep sense of the injustice of the present situation. It's these people as they as they walk past the Black Lodge. Gee, isn't that an interesting look? We've seen this before, but isn't that an interesting little procession here? People who give hope to those who still believe that things will get better here. One of them is Barbara Spector, a former American who made Aliyah and then 10 years ago with the help of the government of Sweden, set up a non-denominational institute of Jewish learning with the Greek name of Paideia here in Stockholm. She believes the current wave of anti-Semitism in Sweden will... So all this really soft female energy is, is generating. This is the engine. These are the engines of change. Because the, whether or not they are consciously engaged in the cultural subterfuge and destruction like maybe one or two of these people understand what they're doing maybe beanie boy back here does but most of these women are driven by their emotions by some kind of um higher calling you know, which for most of them is really just the weaponized version of a type of uh, Christian ethos.
right? But look, look, look what we're seeing here. It's mostly women. And they're driving these emotional decisions. Pass, and that Jews have an important role to play in a country undergoing. Oh, it's a little more diverse here. Profound change. I think there's a resurgence of anti-Semitism because at this point in time, Europe has not yet learned how to be multicultural. So essentially what she's saying, here's what she's saying. She's saying that, okay, let's just, just break this down. She's saying that there's more anti-Semitism in Europe because Europe has not learned how to be multicultural. So in order to combat anti-Semitism, they need to they they need to be more multicultural. To me, that doesn't make any fucking sense. But for her, she knows exactly what she's talking about. Right. She's basically saying, we're going to head this off at the pass. And uh, we're, we, along with the UN, UNESCO, and all of these other NGOs, are going to start to bring immigrants, whatever you want to call them. Let, let's just call them for what they are. They're fucking cultural invaders. They're barbarians inside the gate. The Trojan horse was humanitarianism for whatever whatever was going on in their country. God forbid, whatever was going on in their country. And instead of making their country better, let's just empty out all the uh, let's just empty out all the anger from the countries that uh, the West theoretically, has been fucking up for the last, say, 20, 25 years. Now, that doesn't give these people the excuse or the right to go in and start burning shit down. I'm sorry. It doesn't give them the right to do that. But this is, this is their problem reaction solution. Yeah, we'll go in, we'll go into Libya, and we'll take out Gaddafi. We'll have a color revolution. We'll destabilize the shit out of it. We'll we'll turn it into a shithole from a once prosperous uh, society. Whatever you think of Gaddafi, his, he treated his people well, really well. And so now you have a group of angry, very, very angry people from Libya that they've liberated. You can say the same thing about Afghanistan. You can say the same thing about Iraq. You can uh, this is this is what we're talking about, and that's not even including the sub-Saharan Africans who have gone from warlord to warlord to warlord to warlord. Uh, it's just the the next the next flavor, backed by some NGO in the West. So the the the, the forces of destruction have been fomented and created. They've been working on that for, for decades now. And so what they're bringing to Europe is the offspring of this 
cultural democide, right? This is this is this is the offspring of it. And they're bringing them to they they've been bringing them to Europe. I mean, I again, when I was on Gaia, this was in 2013, 2014. I did a show on this. So we are now 10 years, 10 years into the migration issue. Okay. Wrap your head around that. So for whatever, whatever crisis might've occurred during that period of time or prior to that period of time, you would think that maybe a decade down the road, they would have solved the crisis. No, they haven't. Instead, for a decade, they've been pumping people into Europe. Not just one year, two years, three years. No, a decade. So now they have, and you can see that, that um, let's say you, you came over in 2014 and you were uh, 18 years old in 2014 if you're still there you're 28 like you've had some time you've had some time to i wouldn't say integrate because i don't think integrate is really what's going on but you've had some time to figure things out a lot of the younger people have risen to positions of power inside of their own group so now you have like uh local gang lords drug lords local warlords They've come up through their system, right? They've they've made connections, and you know, what happens when you have a group of people that move to a new country? I said this before. Automatically, they start gangs, but then they just keep bringing new people in, right? And that's another part of the conflict and problem here, because let's let let's be good humans for a minute and say that perhaps somebody that came across on the Aquarius, the pontoon in uh, 2014, nine years later, let's say they were uh, 18 years old. When they got here. So they're 27 now. So maybe just maybe they may have integrated a little bit. Maybe we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And now you have a bunch of younger people coming in and they're, they're in different places. developmentally right so now you have schisms even inside of these uh, migrant groups and so you you would have this new wave of migrants looking at this older and more established wave of migrants who's already been there and may have had some degree of integration and they may not like that they're like yeah we're not going to wait 10 years to get our shit So this this is this is really problematic, really problematic, and it's been un- just think of the numbers. Think that Europe is being has been, and is being overwhelmed, and nobody in Europe really, at a, at a, at a, at a majority level, signed up for any of it. Nobody sat down and and had a vote somewhere and said, yeah. We're good with it. Let's bring it in, but let's cap it, right? Let, let's let's cap the number at five thousand a year. I, I don't know what the number would be, right? Well, let's cap the number at fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, whatever the number. They didn't, but no, 
No, they had no vote. They had no say. This is the EU, right? The EU is just going to make unilateral decisions working with NGOs like the one that this bitch started up in Sweden. And you think she's the only one? Do you think she's like the point person for all? No, she isn't. There's plenty, plenty, plenty more to, to, to spread around here, right? But she is telling you and everybody else what they were planning on doing. And that's exactly what they've done. Exactly what they've done. Let's play a little bit longer here. And I think we're going to be part of the throes of that of that transformation, which must take place. Europe is not going to be the... Why must it take place? Why must it take place? Can, can, you, can, can anybody answer that question for me? Why must it take place? Here's what I think. I think that you have a group of people who ha are, whatever your views of the Holocaust are, they're, they're, they're complex. They're, they're complex views, okay? But what you have here is a person and a group of people who are still angry over the Holocaust, and they want a pound of flesh, right? They want a pound of flesh. So when they say, never forget, they're not saying, hey, look, we can't ever forget the fact that there was a, a group or a faction or a person that was responsible for all these atrocities. So we can never, ever let somebody like that gain so much power ever again, right? That's the, the uh, standardized version of never forget. I think the other version of never forget is don't ever forget what those people did to us because we are going to uh, exact our revenge on these people. This is what I this is what I think is happening. Now, somebody brought up here. Let's play this out, and I'm going to get into chat, and uh, we'll have a little, little chat here. Let's play it out one more time. Monolithic. Uh, She's just taking way too much fucking pleasure in this. Uh, uh, societies that they once were in. She's crazy. They they've given people who are absolutely insane. Positions of power. Last century. Jews are going to be at the center of that. It's a huge transformation for Europe to make. They are now going into a multicultural mode, and Jews will be resented because of our leading role. But without that leading role and without that transformation, Europe will not survive. So, again, what is she saying? Is it because of birth rates that Europe won't survive? Is that what she's referring to? Wow. Wow. I wonder what she's up to. I wonder what Barbara Lerner Spectre is up to. I wonder if we could ever track her down. 
anyway, this is uh, this is, we're going to get into some of this Paris stuff today, but that's why it's happening because they told you it was going to happen. They told you that Europe was not going to be this monolithic culture. I mean, the way that it was described, it was it, it was it was described as if you know Europe was this kind of you know massive monolithic archaic superstructure that was impenetrable to change and it just wasn't going to be allowed to happen you can't hold on to it and yet the ironic part is uh you tried doing that to israel uh yeah not gonna happen not gonna happen just talk to some ethiopian jews that live in Israel, see how good life is for them in Israel. They'll kick their ass out. You know, if they, if you are somebody who illegally crosses their borders, you'll feel the wrath, the absolute wrath of that illegal border crossing. So it's okay for Europe, but not okay for the country that is sanctioning this. Two very well, we're just a small little country. We we can't afford to bring all these people in. Yeah, but why are you driving this massive wave of quote unquote migrants into Europe? Now, somebody brought up on, I think it was the Friday show. I think it might have been the Friday show with Russ. They brought up the Kalergi plan. And the Kalergi plan, uh, the Kudinov Kalergi plan was a plan that was created to here I'll bring it up here the Kalergi plan was a plan that was created now of course um you're going to get people that are going to uh not agree with it all right this is big think this is part of it here. Richard von Kudenhoff Kalergi. He was working on something called a pan-Europe or something kind of like the EU, right? So this is the Kalergi plan. The Utopia 1920 scheme for five global superstates. Unity is strength. The 1920s map divides the world among just five superstates. The map was produced by Count Richard von Kudenhoff Kalergi, who devoted his life to European unity. The utopian map may have inspired George Orwell's dystopian world, 1984. If the geopolitical dreams of the 20th century Austro-Japanese aristocrat, so he's mixed, had come true, this is what the map of the world would have looked like, dominated by no more than five superstates. Now mostly obscure, Count Richard von Kudenhoff Kalergi is remembered mainly as the hero and villain, respectively, of two fringes of the never-ending debate about European integration. And that's a shame because Kudenhoff Kalergi cuts quite an intriguing figure. Not only is he the one who proposed Beethoven's Ode to Joy as Europe's anthem, he also served as the inspiration for Victor Laszlo, the fictional resistance hero in Casablanca. On his father's side, Richard was the scion of an Austrian noble family 
with roots in Flanders, Greece, and branches all over the rest of Europe. His mother, Mitsuko Aoma, came from a wealthy Japanese family of merchants and landowners. So this was going to be the pan-European flag. In 1922, Kudinov Kalergi founded the Pan-European Union together with Austrian Archduke Otto von Habsburg. Uh, Habsburg was a, uh, he was a big time Freemason. A year later, of course he was, a year later he published the Manifesto Pan-Europa. And in 1924, he founded an eponymous journal, which ran until 1938. In 1926, the first Congress of the Pan-European Union elected Kudinov Kalergi as its president which he would remain until his death. The motivation for the Count's pan-Europeanism was a threat of world hegemony by Russia. So there's always this thing going on with Russia in Europe. Like they're just terrified of this kind of Russian superstate or the, the Russian soul, which is kind of pan-Asiatic. The only way to prevent it was to supersede Europe's various nationalisms. The pan-European superstate, as envisioned by Kudinov Kalergi, was a curious mix of social democracy and Christian conservatism, the social aristocracy of the spirit. In response, Leon Trotsky, then Soviet commissar, in 1923, called for a Soviet United States of Europe. So this is the pan-Europe part of the uh, Kalergi plan. Uniting all European countries, minus the Russian and British empires. Pan-Europe also includes the French, Italian, Portuguese, Belgian, Dutch colonial possessions with a foothold in the Americas, half of Africa, and substantial parts of Southeast Asia. Pan-America, all the Americas with one major exception, Canada, controlled by the Brits. Minor exceptions include all the other pits controlled by the British and European empires. Pan-America also includes the Philippines, U.S. administered at the time of the publication. It's kind of how it's gone down, actually. Then you have the British Commonwealth, basically the British Empire at its height, Great Britain, Ireland, and Canada, British Guiana, Africa from Cape to Cairo, and Nigeria, plus other territories in West Africa, uh, the Arabian Peninsula, Indian subcontinent, Malaysia, Papua New Guinea, Australia, and New Zealand. The big idea of the map is clear. There is strength in numbers. So this is what the Kalergi plan looks like, right? That's what it looks like. I mean, in terms of borders, that's what it looked like. His pan-Europeanism may have been directed against the threat of the extreme left that didn't make it popular with the extreme right. Hitler denounced the Count and his ideas as those of a rootless cosmopolitan, an elitist half-breed. The Nazis considered pan-Europeanism a Masonic plot. He wasn't the the Nazis weren't wrong because if uh, von Bismarck was involved, clearly there was Masonic roots there. Fleeing into American exile after Austria's Anschluss, nineteen thirty, Kudov Kalergi spent the war continuing to make the case for a European unity. Now, at one point, however, he also proposed to form and had an Austrian government in exile a suggestion that was ignored by Roosevelt and Churchill. So this was his, this was his baby, right? Now, one of the things that is left out here in the uh, Kalergi plan 
is the, now this is this is the part that is in dispute, but uh, we're seeing that kind of take place. On the other hand, opponents of European integration here. Okay, what? Okay, let's do this. Kudnov Kalergi's uh, grave near Gestadt carries the epitaph. A uh, pioneer de Stade Uni de Europe, right? Basically, he's a pioneer of the state of Europe. Um, for unifying the state of Europe. For all simplicity, that sounds a bit grandiose. He was not directly involved in founding the EU or any of its precursors, not to say premature. Today's European is not yet the dreaded monolithic superstate. What the fuck was she talking about? What was Barbara Lerner Spectre talking about? This monolithic state. It's exactly what she was talking about. Nonetheless, proponents of further European integration happily praise the Count's lifelong devotion to the cause. Streets and squares throughout Europe, though, although admittedly never the longest or largest ones, carry his name. On the other hand, opponents of European integration from the nationalist and identitarian camp, denounced the so-called Kalergi plan, a plot to use immigration to dilute Europe's whiteness, supposedly penned by the cosmopolitan count. It's a hoax on par with the protocols of the elders of Zion. Well, the elders of Zion have been proven, actually, to be true. So they get you to think about this guy in terms of, well, maybe he's a visionary. Maybe he was just somebody who saw the big picture ahead of time and this other stuff, but we'll just kind of, we'll take it out of the, we'll take it out of the mix here. Let's see if we can um, look at, uh, if you go into Kalergi plan and you look through Google, you're going to get everything related to the quote unquote conspiracy version of the Kalergi plan, right? It's all going to be, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all conspiracy-based. Let's do a little DuckDuckGo and uh, see where that takes us. Because that's just how the Google search are, results are wired. They're not going to give you, like the algorithms now are so stacked. They're just so stacked. So let's just do this. The color game plan. Now, even DuckDuckGo has... Um, done the same thing. All right. So here we go. This is... So let me go through this. The man of the future will be mixed, will be race mixed. That's a quote. That is not a hoax. That's a quote. So this is a movie about the Kalergi plan. All right, this is the, um, I'm not going to play the movie, but I am going to bring up the uh, synopsis here. The Kalergi plan consists of white people, the genocide of white people, through miscegenation and mass immigration of non-whites to Europe. What the fuck are we watching? 
this plan drawn up in 1923 by Count Richard Kalergi is inspired by human mastery over farm animals. It seeks to generate a passive, tame, predictable, and manipulable mixed race of inferior character and intelligence. And this is the Kalergi plan here, over which the Jewish aristocratic elite could eternally rule, since this inferior mind would prevent them from organizing to rebel and even realize that they were being dominated. The term Eurasian Negroid race can be found in Kalergi's books. So how is this a hoax? That is what the supremacist uh, Zionists are desperately trying to achieve. The extinction of all cultures and races, particularly the European. Kalergi shared the opinion of Joseph Arthur Diobanu on the high performance of the white race, especially the Nordic sub-race, but did not aspire to the promotion, conservation, and strengthening of it, but its destruction. Hitler was aware of Kalergi's plan and did everything in his power to prevent it. Like Gobineau, Hitler considered the Aryan race to be the noblest, the best arm for the struggle for existence, the most beautiful, the most energetic, and the one with the greatest amount of creative genius. What this race lost by mixing it was not compensated by what others gained by noblemen. It has always happened that the decline of civilizations has occurred because they contaminated their blood. This is the inexorable law. It was the fall of Rome. That was all planned. Caesar knew exactly what he was doing. For national socialism, the cultural integrity of Europe peoples, European peoples can only be achieved through uh, Rassenale's idea of religion in the blood. The idea of race unifies people spiritually, and supreme values such as heroism and honor can be achieved. Through the instrument of Marxism, Zionism wants to destroy everything. Race, nation, religion, property, family, culture, art, you name it. It is clear that they hope to achieve an internal collapse in Western society, giving the chosen people universal triumph. What do you think Barbara Spector-Lerner was, was saying? Right, She's basically telling everybody that they are going to move swiftly without naming names to put the Kalergi plan into action. Now, I understand that for many people that this is an uncomfortable subject. It doesn't resonate with grand universalist ideas of spirit in God. That doesn't mean that those ideas aren't available or there for all of us to tap into. But it, it 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 is it is you know what we're talking about here isn't kumbaya, and it gets into the nitty gritty of what's happening. And ultimately, all you got to do is watch the fucking video that I played you. She's telling you exactly. She's telling you exactly what's going on. I started playing that video in 2017, I think, when when I first ran across it. I was like, whoa. This is this this is this is bold. It's in your face, right? This is this this is um, the revolution of the, the the revelation of the method. They're telling you exactly what's going to happen, and it did happen, and it's happening, and now we're seeing the fruits of it. 
we're seeing France kind of fall before our very eyes. And it's all planned. It's all planned. Your England may suffer a bit of a lesser fate because the uh, the English, uh, particularly the the, uh, the crown, uh, they 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 talk a good game, right? The crown talks a really good game. You know, they they want to aspire towards some sort of noble global village. But the global village still has to have a leader. And in their minds, they're the ones. And really, if you, you know, drill down on, uh, you know, uh, King Charles, I guess he's still king at this point. Like, these people are, they're, they're hardcore eugenicists. Like, there was a reason why Diana was killed. And I do believe she's dead. It's because she had Dodie Fayette's baby in her belly. And they were not going to allow um, a little Egyptian into their bloodline family. No fucking way in hell that was going to happen. There's a reason why Harry and Meghan live in the United States and not England, right? Keep all of that in mind. So England will retain its Englishness if it has to. Right. They'll retain their Englishness if, if they have to. I don't think uh, England would be ab above, the crown would be above uh, some degree of deportation and even in extreme cases, extermination and sterilization. I don't think they would be above it because England just rolls differently than the rest of Europe. They've held themselves aside from the rest of Europe. They're, they're in the European Union, but they're not. They had their Brexit, but they had Theresa May come in and foul the switches. And so there's huge amounts of confusion. They, they don't trade in the euro. They trade in the pound. So they're always separate, right? Everything else, the continent, they're, they're willing to let that go to hell in a handbasket. But I, I think at the end of the day, you know they'll they'll have their virtue signals. They'll have their their uh, their Hindi mayor of London and their Hindi uh, prime minister, Rishi Sunak. But those those are just really virtue signals, and those are their kind of code keys to make sure that you know it's a good look for the World Economic Forum. Oh yeah, it's diversity, but that it's just a show. For for the crown, it's just a show. Trust me on this. It's just a fucking show. Yeah, are they bringing people in? Sure, of course they are. But I'll tell you who they're bringing in now. They're bringing Albanians in. Albanians look a lot more like quote unquote the English and the and the white race in England than some of the other people that they've been bringing in. So. They've shifted. They're bringing Albanians and Ukrainians into England. So it's like they're meeting their global quota, but with a lot less melanin. And don't think the crown has something to do with that. They do. Right? They'll say, okay, well, we'll take the lesser of two evils. If we have to take somebody from Albania 
because, oh, there's really terrible things going on in Albania. Or uh, Sudan, we'll take the Albanians. That's an easy choice. So I don't think England theoretically will suffer the same fate as Europe. And I think the English will will probably do everything in their power to, to quell or crush that kind of just absolutely explosive, and I mean explosive, radically explosive unrest. They won't let it happen. They won't promote it. But the rest of Europe is in big trouble, really big trouble, because there are people that are, see, that's, France doesn't have a monarch. I'm not saying monarchs are good, but they don't have a monarch. So who do you have running France? You've got Macron and you have these World Economic Forum um, androids, really. I mean, I, I'm being kind. They're the, so this thing now has been set up, right? One, you know, one law for all, one rule for all. Nobody really gets out of it in Europe now. And what we've seen in France has taken place. It's gone viral. It's happening in Belgium, parts of Switzerland, which really surprised me as I was reading about it over the weekend. Because the Swiss are armed as fuck, and they all know how to use their weapons. And the Swiss have gone out of their way out of their way to remain a neutral ethno state. Yeah, sure, they'll have Italians come in and Italians will do the day labor and stuff like that. But outside of that, uh, the Swiss have done everything in their power to retain their their ethno state neutrality. So when this starts to happen, it's very surprising that it would be happening somewhere near Switzerland or even in Switzerland. Uh, maybe they just had that as a news release just to make sure that, oh, even Switzerland is kind of getting the uh, the treatment a little bit. But this is really problematic. And it's all part of the plan. It's all part of burning everything down to the ground, right? This is what they want. This is part of the Great Reset. The These, these people, I guess they're people. I mean, I, these animals that they brought in. There's two different groups. Right, you you have the hardcore Muslims, who are very organized. Like they're super organized, and they they organize, um, you know, through their. Uh, God, I always forget what the, through the mosques, right? They they're super organized through their mosques, and you you know usually you have these local imams as the spiritual and political leaders. Um, of that of that group, and there's, it's very hierarchical. It's very hierarchical. You know, you, you at the top of the pyramid, you have Muhammad, and then you have these kind of various imams, and they kind of trickle down into the local area. And there's no questioning, right? There, there, there's the orthodoxy of the Quran, and the interpretation of the Quran uh, might. Uh, be a little bit different depending upon the group that's interpreting that. A Sufi will have a very different interpretation of the Quran than a Wahhabist. And the Wahhabist being probably the most radical 
uh, the ones who are in favor of a theocratic ethnostate where the 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 religion of the state and the state are one that's that's that that's the that's the basis behind the the wahhabis so they're very organized they're not disorganized that is not a disorganized group you got the people who are from sub saharan south africa some of whom may be muslims some of whom may not be muslims they are not organized, at least not in that traditional sense. So they bring the chaos, right? They're the ones that are bringing the chaos to the streets of Paris and in other parts of Europe. Now, what's going on with the mosque and how deeply involved are they? Would they like to turn Europe into uh, a completely Muslim ethnostate? Absolutely, 100%. They would they would love for whatever version of uh, the Cathedral of Notre Dame to be a mosque, right? They would love it. It, it would it would be the fulfillment of the prophet's dream, right? And for a long time, for a long time, who was it? it was I think it was uh, Farrakhan. Farrakhan would, would just say, there's no way that there's going to be a fatwa on the West. No way. Like there was just, there would never be enough energy. If you know what a fatwa is, it basically means a, like a declaration of war, right? And then he changed his tune. Like Farrakhan changed his tune and he said, oh, I definitely think that there, now that there could be a fatwa. And is that what we're witnessing? Is that what we're witnessing? Is this part of it's not it's we're not we're not just talking now like Barbara Specter Lerner and Kalergi. Now we're bringing in a revolutionary religious point of view. And again, if you are Muslim, and by the way, I'm just going to be really i don't have an issue with muslim people the the muslims that i've interacted with here in this country most of them were just damn happy to be americans and thought it was the best country in the world because it gave them an opportunity i've had really good conversations um with muslims muslim people in america that's not to say that they're all like that the ones that I've encountered have been like that. And when I lived in Austin, they built a mosque right across the street from where I was I was living. Didn't look like a mosque, but they built the mosque. And they started to bring a lot of Muslims into Austin, especially kind of North Austin, kind of headed towards Georgetown. That area is just rife with like halal markets and, you know, it, it's easy to run you'll just run into them right like oh we're in dearborn so this has been going on for a while and particularly here in texas so my interaction has been i'd say mostly positive i don't have a beef with 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 muslims that said if you look at the track record and you look at what iraq now when 
Saddam Hussein was running Iraq, they were not really a, a, uh, a religious ethno state. That's not what they were about. There was the Ba'ath Party. And the Ba'ath Party was kind of statist, right? It was kind of statist. And it wasn't really religious. If anything, it was more along the lines of state socialist. And Saddam Hussein was not, he was not religious. You know, he, if you were a woman and you lived in Iraq, you didn't have to wear a burqa. You, you could hold a job. I mean, as far as women's rights go, I mean, uh, Saddam Hussein was what we would term progressive in a lot of ways. So, so he wasn't, he wasn't the root cause of that problem. Now, those are, but at the same time, there are um, and were hardcore devout Muslims inside of Iraq, right? They're there. So you go into a country like that, you bomb the shit out of it and destroy, uh, you know, its capital and, you know, all, all the other kind of major pieces of its culture and history along the way. And you snatch their oil and you, your friends die. I mean, how's that going to change you as a person? A lot. What about Afghanistan? Afghanistan is a Muslim country. And the United States has been embroiled in a war in Afghanistan, or had been, since 2001. I mean, like the ink hadn't dried on the on the Patriot Act, and it was off to Afghanistan we go. And we're going to declare war on the Taliban. We're going to be preemptive and, and defeat the great Muslim threat on its own turf. How'd that work out? So if you're a Muslim in Afghanistan and you've had to deal with the Americans since 2000, almost 20 years in whatever kind of uh, bullshit that's gone on there, do you think you're going to be happy? No. What about Libya? Lot, lots of Muslims in Libya. You think they're going to be happy? That that you know the leader of their country got basically got got murdered, killed, overturned everything, you know, turned Libya into basically a shithole. You add it all up, you you've got an angry hornet's nest of a group of people who, even though there's different sects inside of that group, they're aligned by the religion of that group. So they more than likely if there's minor differences, will more than likely bury those differences for one cause, which would be the destruction of the West, which would be a fatwa. And so is this what we're seeing now in Europe? Are we seeing the uh, beginning of this fatwa? And then you throw in the South the sub-Saharan Africans, again, some of whom are Muslim and some aren't. And this is a really dangerous mix. Because again, one side is organized. The other side is just pure anarchic mayhem. Pure anarchic mayhem. Now, the other thing that I talked about 
on Friday, and I mentioned it on Sunday night, is the war in Ukraine. And all of the weapons that have gone to Ukraine, and all the weapons that have gone to Ukraine that have gone missing in Ukraine. Oh, isn't that interesting? Where did they go? Where did the weapons dealers find homes for all those cute little RPGs? And um, you know your M1s and everything else, right? I I would bet everything I own, which isn't a lot, but I bet everything I own that a lot of those missing weapons will wind up in places all around Europe with the, the factions that we've been talking about that, in fact, they will probably uh, be better armed than the local constabulary. Now, I would assume that there also would be a number of people who have made these migrations who have military training. Oh, yeah. Think about that. Think about people from Afghanistan who have fought in the mountains of Afghanistan against the Americans, against the Russians, right? They've got military training. And I would assume that some of those people are probably in the mix as well. So Europe has a huge problem on its hands. And the, you know, the, the, the genocidal uh, rulership of Europe won't have a problem with it. They, they won't. They won't have a problem with it. Because they know at the end of the day that in order for the World Economic Forum to exist, in order for there to be a great reset, that the, the previous civilization and everything associated with it must be destroyed. It has to be destroyed. They may, they may leave, you know, just like if you go back and look at what happened with so-called Tartaria, they may have left a few things around by accident or maybe as a reminder or whatever, right? But those things are there and it has triggered um, our curiosity, sparked our imaginations and, um, and really inspired a lot of people to do some very interesting research on the matter. So they may leave a few things around just, just, just to throw off a future generation. Like, what was this about? Right. But I guarantee you this along with all the climate change stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, this building and, and they'll, and they'll, 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 they'll roll it all in together. Right, they'll roll it all in together. Well, that building wouldn't have stood up to the new standards anyway. Right, they will justify the destruction. They'll say, you know, in a in a in a very strange way, it's unfortunate, but they're actually doing us a service because the new building that will be there will will be able to contain the uh, the the carbon di dioxide from the atmosphere much much better. Right. So they're, they, again, they'll have no problem with it because this is the plan built back better. And for it to have any kind of traction, it has to be the, the entirety of the West. The entirety of the West.
it can't just be an isolated incident. All right, so let's let's jump the pond. Let's talk about what's happening here. Isn't it interesting that we had a wave, and I mean a wave of migrants? 300,000 is the number that kind of seems to be the agreed upon number, 300,000. And then all of a sudden, it stopped, right? Why did, why did it, I mean, first of all, did it stop? Probably not. There's probably still people coming through the border. But it's not the tsunami of human flesh that, you know, we had to deal with. Look, that's, that's it's not the same numbers. But now they're here. They're here now in huge numbers. And what are they doing here besides being shuttled around from one state to another? That's a question. It's an important question. And I think a question that um, some people are asking. Now, again, this is all kind of in the, uh, the rumor mill territory. But supposedly, a lot of these people have wound up in West Texas, where they have these relocation centers set up in West Texas. And what they're doing there is, well, not been disclosed for the general public. Would it be that far afield to suggest that maybe, perhaps, they may be getting some training that uh, they might use in a future situation here in this country? Uh, that um, maybe not the, be the best interest for all of us? Yeah, I know. It's the, the workings of a paranoid mind. But... If you've been following conspiracy theories for the last 25 or 30 years, you'll figure out that most of them turned out to be true, right? It starts off as the ravings of a paranoid lunatic, but 10 years down the line, it's like, well, it becomes history, becomes historical. So we're just, we're, we're looking at the pattern here. I don't think the pattern is too dissimilar in this country. Now, remember, the nodes are about to change, and they're about to go into Aries, Aries, Libra. Libra in the descendancy, Aries in the ascendancy. So the Aries energy is going to ascend. And the thing with the nodes, which a lot of people, a lot of astrologers, a lot of astrologers I think, miss is that they're connected to the moon. So the moon is this uh, psychic force that is related to collective events. The moon is very much related to collective events. And it's when you, when you look at the moon placement in like the 10th house, one of the things that comes up with the moon in the 10th house is like, you know, mass social movements, you know, where, where people lose their minds, right? I mean, that's the nature of the moon. 
it's not like the sun and the sun being this clear and and uh, shining source of illumination creates contrast shadow clarity right very apollonian but with the moon it's much more decidedly dionysian and darker so when we get into these nodal trends they're quite often driven by emotion and at times emotion that seems to be uh either out of the out of place or over the top and and we have seen these um sort of nodal trends uh become very very prevalent just go back and i mean i mean really go back and um look at the you know the the whole true node in in cancer and south node in capricorn and and true node in gemini you could go back to the true node in leo like the true node in leo augured the rise of trump and this whole kind of more of an apollonian approach to uh everyday life or governance like that's when you saw kind of the rise of trump was was really through that true note in in leo um it's kind of a big deal right so here we go right we we're kind of moving into the not kind of we are moving into some degree of the unhinged expression of aries which tends to be based on conflict violence the application of martial force and will. And uh, it's coming, it's coming real fast. And you, again, you can just see it, right? You always have a, you can always get a, a glance into what's coming when you have these, these uh, luminaries at their final degrees before they shift. And it's going to be very intense, very, very intense. You know, when we look at, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to revisit this again tomorrow because I really want to put together some, some images and some video. We just string it all together and I want to string it all together for um, the sake of shocking you. And having a part of the public record, I didn't do it today because I just didn't have the time, but I want to do it for tomorrow. So we're going to re revisit this tomorrow. And it feels to me like, you know, there's an empowerment with Aries. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to just kind of skirt over that, right? That's the individual becoming for, you know, it's like it's on me, right? Like, you know, pin a star on me. Well, you're the only person left in town. Well, pin the star on me. You know, the star is the star of the, the marshal, right? Pin the star on me. And, and this is really what it's going to come down to. I mean, people are going to have to realize that they are responsible for their, for everything for themselves, you know, for their own protection, their own sovereignty, everything, right? This is what it's going to come down to. That part of thing is good. You know, we're starting to see major pushbacks in terms of these protests and people are pro they're doing these anti-protests and you know it's like we're not having any of it you know i think this whole thing with like they could get they could get away with guilt tripping people 
um, about about race, right? I mean, I think they could get away with that, and they have. It's it is it is a great guilt trip mechanism. I don't think they could do the same thing with the gender stuff, and they've tried to do the same thing with the gender stuff, and they and they try to make this. You know, now when they have, have you seen the new, the new LGBTQAI plus flag? So they have the colors going this way, then they have the colors going this way, and they've incorporated kind of the uh, the ethnic color scheme into that flag. So they're trying to have this kind of kumbaya moment and do this rebrand and pivot, and we're going to pivot from, you know, critical race theory. Like we kind of won that war. Now we're gonna we're gonna fold it and blend it into this new thing. It's not working. Okay, it's clearly not working. So I, I think that's that the, they ran into a problem. They 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 thought okay, well let's let's blend these together. And really, what they want to do is they want to blend everything together. They, they want to bring homophobia, transphobia, uh, racism. Uh, the climate climate denial. They want to bring it all together kind of under one rubric so that they can hit as many people as possible. But I, I just don't think it's going to be all that effective because the, 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 the whole LGBTQ plus thing is they, they've jumped the shark. Like they jumped the shark on this. And I know that they're, they're you know, they're under a deadline like 2030s their deadline but um i think they jumped the shark on it because it's not really working and they they can have as many martyrs as they want it's still not going to work it's it's still not going to work right there's a big difference between somebody whose ancestors were in chains uh, and by the way, there are a lot of people and a lot of ancestors who are in chains, right? There's, there was a lot of that. It wasn't just like one group, you know, I'm Irish. And there were a lot of Irish that were conscripted and had their own form of uh, bondage, right? That said, it's, the math doesn't add up with that kind of oppression and this more recent kind of identity but it doesn't add up right so it's it's, it's just not it's not going to work it's not so now that's where you have people pushing back on it so it'll be interesting will they kind of return to the you know the uh, critical race theory and, and pound that some more yeah i think they can only stay like the next level of that would be some form of reparations. So it's interesting is there's this bill in California now, which, um, which basically states that black fathers, this is the weirdest fucking bill I've seen. And it's, it's on the books, right? They're, they're going to vote on this thing that black fathers don't have to pay child support. Because it's kind of a form of reparations. Like, what fucking planet do we live on now? And it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. No sense whatsoever. The only thing I could think of is that, okay, well, since the father 
and, and just think think of how many white fathers or Asian fathers. You don't see a lot of divorced Asian fathers, by the way. You ever, you, and that's by that's that's not a coincidence, right? Like you don't see a lot of divorced Asian fathers. They don't get divorced. They raise families. They raise multi generational families. I don't know. Would you throw Mexican fathers in there? Maybe. But I guarantee you, they'll, they'll, you know, some dumbass white, white father will say, you know what? It's going to be a bit of a burden on me, but I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that man's child support. That's what I'm Is there alimony involved? I'll scrape it together, but I'll take care of that too. I'm just, I'll bet you they'll roll somebody out like that. Whether or not they're real is a whole other story, right? But that's what they're talking about in California. I mean, at some point, this whole thing is just going to get shark jumped. But when the nodes move into Aries, they won't care. Like it doesn't, there's no discrimination when it comes to the expression of one's will and the martial application of force. That's across the board, right? So we're seeing it right now. And the, the Libra, which is being fair, is in the descendancy. So get ready, boys and girls. It's going to be uh, it's going to be turbulent. Um, you know, I did not spend a lot of time with you guys today in Chattoria. Part of that was intentional not because i don't love you but because here's what happened here's what happened i went back and i listened to thursday's show it was thursday's show thursday it was wednesday or thursday i forget which one it was and i thought to myself i didn't do that well like i was really disappointed in a lot of ways by how I wouldn't say it was disjointed. I mean, there was a theme there, but there it, it was. There were gaps as I went kind of from one subject to another. There was the Madonna video, and I think there's a there there. I mean, I think there was some good information there, but it, but I had listened to it. I'm like, man, I could do so much better, so much better. And today is kind of a, a, an effort to do better, right? To stay on topic to get right into something and to talk about the thing that I'm talking about in a way that is going to have threads from start to finish. Whether you agree with those threads or not, that's a whole other topic and subject matter for, for you and your consumption. But that's, that's what was on the menu for today was to be, and I had a bit of an issue at the time because of, when I woke up today, I was super tired, but I wanted to get into the subject matter. I wanted to stay with the subject matter and just grind it through to the end. And so as a result, I kind of skipped over you guys today, but I am going to check in with you tomorrow. Okay. I will check in with you tomorrow. Uh, 
because, well, it's what we do around here. It's a big part of my life. You're a big part of my life. So let's do that. And then tomorrow we're going to revisit this and I'm going to, I'm going to put together some video and show you what's going on. And it's not pretty. And I, I feel for those people. You know, there are people who live in France and Italy and, you know, they're probably in their eighties, you know, so they're born during like, you know, pre pre world war two grew up, went through world war two, you know, they have a, they have a sense as to, you know, what their country was like. And now they got to go through this shit. It's got to be just terribly confusing for these folks. All right. That's it for today. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to step on what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Thank you for listening to today's show. Uh, Chataria, I will be back with you tomorrow. We'll have a little check-in. Just because I wasn't there, it's not I wasn't thinking about you. All right, take good care. Bye for now.